We're beginning a, a new series today, um, the tale of two kings, David and Saul, or Saul and David, actually. Um, as our young gentleman pointed out, both Ariel and, uh, and Barry, we sometimes read the uh, stories of scripture and uh, what we see is just a story. Or perhaps we get um, obsessed about particular details because some of them may or may not make sense according to our uh, way of doing things, according to our reality. And we forget the fact that what is written in Scripture is designed to communicate to us God's will. I know that's real basic, but we forget the real basic stuff um, because sometimes we read the Word of God and it flies over us at Mach 15 and we just don't get all the details and the spiritual meaning and... Um, the story of Saul and David is so much more than the story of Saul and David. Um, it is about how God takes people and plucks them out of anonymity and gives them work to do and uh, gives them power to do that, to do those particular jobs. Um, and as you look at Saul and, and look, you look at David, you say, well, that's not me. Well, yes, it is. In so many ways, um, we are self-consumed and we don't really understand what it is that God is doing. Part of our reality is that we have a lot of things flying at us. You know, I had a conversation with one of our gentlemen uh, this week who was concerned about all the stuff that's going on in our country. That alone could drive a person absolutely mishugi. And if you're not driven mishugi, you can go to deep desperation uh, because you hear uh, loud, and I mean loud, obnoxious loud, from one end of the spectrum, and then you hear loud, obnoxious loud from the other end of the spectrum, and you, at least for me, my inclination is to say, Shah, settle down. Um, do you really have to go and scream at each other? Um, and it, it's very unsettling, isn't it? Very, very unsettling. Um, because the Word of God exhorts us to pray that uh, to pray for a government that we would live, be able to live in peace. And I, I don't know about you folks, I'd like to live in peace. You get tired of all the drama and melodrama and maxi drama. And then on top of that, you have stuff, drama in your own life, right? 
and other people's lives, and then it impacts you, so their drama impacts your drama. You know, I, I, I just went to drop off a pair of shoes. No, no great, profound anything. Uh, and there was a gal in front of me, and she was having a drama day. Um, you know, she took out all the things in her purse and put them on the counter and, uh, and then proceeded to tell the, uh, the lady who was waiting on her that she needed to have her purse fixed. And the lady came back and gave her some kind of a, an estimate and the lady did not like it. And so she was having conversation with her and I'm standing there rather impatiently just say, uh, lady, get on with it. I didn't say that, of course, because I looked slightly incorrectly, and then the lady turned on me <laughs> and uh, wanted to know um, why my face was slightly less than um, serene. <laughs> and uh, I got very uh, impatient. And then as I left, you know, I, I felt like the Lord was zapping me, as is his custom sometimes when I listen, and basically giving me some kind of sense of compassion with this gal who was clearly out of sorts. Um, and I was grateful that the Lord put a zip on my mouth so I didn't say anything to her. Um, but, you know, this is p part of, of reality for us folks. And, and uh, when we complain, just think of what life would have been like if we lived in ancient Israel. Um, particularly at, at the point in history where we find um, Saul and, uh, and David. But first of all, I wanted to park on Saul. Um, now, he was quite a character. Um, and, and I'm not going to read all the portions, but I would encourage you to go back and reread the portions of Scripture that give us the portrait of who Saul was. Uh, obviously, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, and he was quite the looker. He was a handsome man. There was not a single Israelite. Now, this is perhaps some d degree of exaggeration, but uh, he was quite the looker. And on top of that, he stood head and shoulder above all the people. It's quite a combination. You know, here you have a, a guy walking in, and everybody's turning and looking at him, um, stunning in his appearance. At the same time, like a lot of people, very poor sense of self-esteem. Um, because when God taps him on the shoulder through Samuel, his attitude is, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and, and, and God tapped him uh, at a time when Saul had absolutely no clue did not even consider thinking that he was God's gift to humanity. 
And um, Samuel says to him, to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? It's a very poetic kind of expression. Uh, simply means that God has tapped you and you are going to be front and center for all the people of Israel. And um, Saul's response is, uh, you've got to be kidding me. Well, he used a slightly different language. Of course, biblical and poetic. Am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of, of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Well, reality was, uh, God didn't make a mistake in, in choosing Saul because we're told that his father wasn't just prominent. The Hebrew phrase that's used to describe Saul's father, he was Gibor Chayil. I won't ask you to pronounce that. Uh, Gibor Chayil means a valiant man, uh, a, a, a strong man, uh, someone who was prominent and Saul grew up. Apparently, uh, Kish had a, had a farm, and Saul was involved in that. Um, so when God wants to tap Saul, as he does with each one of us, what, what we see is not God's strategic plans. We see us, and our inclination is to say, God, you've got to be kidding who am I? I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. As we say in Yiddish, a nebish. You know, Yiddish is so full of these put-downs. Uh, one for each season, one for each day. Um, and so Saul doesn't see what, what it is that God wants. He has no clue of the fact that God is very upset at the fact that the people of Israel at this point are oppressed. They're oppressed by the Philistines. And what God is concerned about is not Saul's ego issues. How do you feel about yourself? Do you have great self-esteem? Because inadvertent, guaranteed, Someone who will say, I'm a nothing and nobody, given the right opportunity, will then change the tune, especially when they have power, and say, I am a gift to humanity. What we'll see with David, on the other hand, is that what fills David's screen is not me and my poor self-esteem or my tremendous self-esteem. What fills David's screen is God. What is it that you want? And in chapter 9, if you just listen, um, what happens is God selects Saul, and he says, I know you don't have what it takes. I'm going to give it to you, as was mentioned earlier by our young adults. And he says to, God says to Samuel, um, about this time, this is chapter 9, verse 16, about this time tomorrow I will send you a young man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver 
my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people and their cry has reached, has reached me. Again, why did God select Saul? Was it because he was a, a handsome dude that he stood head and shoulders? Did God select him because his father was prominent, Gibor God selected him not because of Saul himself. God selected him because he was moved with compassion over the plight of the people. God had a strategic plan. And despite the fact that the people of Israel at this point are spiritually in the sewer, I mean, this is the concluding part of the period of the Judges. And if you have read the book of Judges, well, let me encourage you to read it, but be prepared to get highly depressed. Um, it, it is awful what, they, what you see simply when people feel like uh, doing what it is they want to do regardless of what it is God wants them to do. A terrible period of history for the people of Israel. And yet, God doesn't wash his hands and says, I'm sick to death of you guys, which is probably what we would have done. And there's this one little jewel in the book of Judges that communicates the heart, the tenderness of God, the chesed of God. Um, they have an interaction with God and, and, and uh, they are challenged to put away the, uh, the idols. And they do that. And there's this expression in chapter 10 of Judges, God could bear Israel's misery no longer. Literally, um, his soul became shortened or impatient because of Israel's suffering. In other words, God looked down on the people of Israel and uh, he was moved with compassion. Like it is when when you see someone who is doing something incredibly stupid that hurts them over and over and over and over and over again. God is moved with compassion, which, by the way, is a very similar kind of language to what we find in Egypt when the people of Israel were oppressed um, in chapter 2 of Exodus. And they cried out to God, they groaned, they sighed, etc., etc., and, and the Lord heard, and, and he was profoundly moved. He was in the moment. And that's what we see in the book of Judges. And that is why God taps Saul and invites him to, to come on the scene and basically says to Saul, Saul, I have work for you to do. I'm calling you to partner with me to set my people free. And Saul, like the rest of us, really has no clue because all he can think about is who am I and God, you're calling me to do something impossible. That's correct. 
Let's remember that if a vision is from God, it is impossible for us to accomplish. Unless God steps in the picture and gives us the power that we need to do. And that's what we see with Saul. On a couple of occasions, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and suddenly, as I mentioned last, uh, last Shabbat, Salach is the, the Hebrew word for um, the Spirit of God coming upon someone uh, with power, coming upon suddenly in a sense of, whoa, what just happened? That's the expression that we see in the book of Judges over and over and over again. Why? Because the need was huge. And um, that happened in a couple of stages. One was when Saul um, became a prophet temporarily. The Spirit of God came upon him. He prophesied and he underwent uh, a change. However, it was not a profound change in a sense that Paul became, Saul became a completely different man. So we see that after Saul prophesies with, uh, with the other prophets, this is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, he just goes back to his, to his life doing what he's always done. In this case, he he was his father's right-hand man when it came to running the farm. Um, and so crisis comes on the scene, and uh, Samuel, who led the people at that point, summons all the people and says to them, okay, I'm gonna, God said to give you a king. And so the king, is someone that you may not be aware of and they do some checking again one of those details that you can fry your brains with and they find out that it was Saul and they go looking for Saul and they cannot find Saul no one has a clue where Saul is so they do what they should have done all along, and they say, God, would you please tell us where this dude is? And God says to them, oh, by the way, he is hiding in the baggage or in the equipment. You say, hmm, this guy is going to lead us into victory over the Philistines, right? Um, it just is a reminder that at least... It, in, in the times of the judges, when the Spirit of God came upon a person, it wasn't always permanently. It wasn't the case of David, because when the Spirit of God came upon David, the, pres the Spirit and the presence of God was there throughout his life. Not in the case of Saul. So, God had a plan. And folks, this is the thing that we just can't get our arms around. God has a plan. Do you know that God has a plan for you? Not just because the four spiritual laws say so, but because that's what the Word of God says, that He has created us, fashioned us to accomplish the work He has for each one of us. And He has gifted us by His Spirit. Do you know that?
Or do you feel that's true of everybody else but not of you? And again, it's not about you or I. It's about the fact that God looks at this broken down, messed up, screwed up world and he is moved with compassion like Yeshua was moved with compassion when he saw the multitude because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we have a hard time tuning into his strategy because all we can think about is me. I'm having a hard time. Oh, I'm great. Not I'm, I'm not great. I'm et cetera, et cetera. And the Lord doesn't do catch 22 folks. He doesn't say, I have a job for you. And oh, by the way, I want you to struggle and fuss and fume and, and fail and not accomplish the work. That's not what, what the Lord says. His strategy is decisive, which means that he wants the work to get done in and through each one of us. So we saw phase one, Saul prophesied because the Spirit of God came upon him. He's still in Nebuch, a nobody, at least in his own mind. And God says, okay, we can fix that. There's a crisis. And you know how it is that God works in our life through crises. We hate the crises, right? You love crises. We hate crises, and God uses them spectacularly to do stuff in us that he doesn't do when things are mellow and peaceful. So sometime today say, thank you, Lord, for crises. There's a crisis. One of their neighbors, a fellow named Nachash, the snake, the Ammonite, um, comes around one of the cities on the east side of the Jordan and, um, and says, I, I, I want to make a treaty with you. One minor detail. Uh, you have to let me gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and then we'll have a treaty. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 11. So the elders of the city say, mm, we're not sure what to do. They send out messengers to everybody. Uh, they come to Saul's town, which was not far from Jerusalem. And the leaders in Saul's town um, wept aloud. They had absolutely no clue. Now, Saul then was coming from, from the fields, from plowing, and uh, he hears what's going on, and something stirs up within him. That something, of course, it was the Spirit of God, came upon Salah. And he stirred up. He says, there's something wrong with this picture, and we're going to fix it. He sends out a, a vivid message to all the people of Israel and say, you guys come, or else you're toast. Everybody for some reason, the entire people decide to come. Now that, folks, is a miracle. 
to have the entire batch of Israelites doing something together. And he leads the people, there's great victory, everything is awesome. And then you read the rest of Saul's story, and frankly, it's depressing, isn't it? If you haven't read it and, and you want to be depressed, go ahead and read it. Because what you see from that point on in Saul's life, you don't see him empowered. You see gutlessness, you see fear. You know, fast forward about 20 years or so to the time when the Philistines are coming again and you have this ruddy little uh, teenage shepherd boy named David who hears the story of what's going on with Goliath. Everybody heard the story of Goliath. You know what Saul's response was? Along with everybody else, he was, he was uh, scared out of his mind. You want to say, okay, Saul, what happened from here when the Spirit of God came upon you and you led the people to victory? And 20 years later, when instead of leading the people, you're being pulled by the nose the same way they are. And as if you were to read the rest of the story, particularly in chapter 13, you see that something happened in Saul's life that, that was a problem. And you look for these um, snippets that kind of give you clues about Saul's life. And one place in particular really grabbed my attention. That is in 1 Samuel 14, where the people did gather, they did worship the Lord, and Saul built an altar to the Lord. And it was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Now, this is after he had been ruling Israel for 20 years. And you say, what's wrong with that picture? So, obviously, there are lots and lots of questions we have about this guy. Um, because on one hand, we see someone who was willing to rule. Um, he did try. But what you see about Saul is that his life was about Saul. And yes, the Spirit of God came upon him on a couple of occasions. But folks, I have no doubt that this is, you know, my theory. That had he been more God-focused, he would have experienced a greater measure of the Spirit of God. Because we see that with David. David, from the time he was small, had some kind of sense of God and was put his nose in that direction. He wanted more of God. And what you see with Saul 
is you see Saul. Strong when, when God do, does something spectacular, but much of the time you see someone who has become a pathetic, pathetic failure. Someone who could not stand to see someone else succeed because he had ego issues. How can, and, and the, the portion that Crystal read to us, and by the way, as a kid in Israel, we used to sing that song. Uh, David had slain his tens of thousands and, and uh, Saul had slain his thousands. Um, whatever took place in Saul's life evaporated very quickly. And, and, and this is, for me, is something I've mentioned periodically. Uh, we want the power, we want the glory. We want the pizzazz. We want to feel like, hey, God, you're doing awesome things, cool things. And remember with Moses, Moses said to God, God, show me your glory. And what did God say to him? I'll show you my goodness. And what did God say as he zipped in front of Moses? Moses was tucked in a rock, and he proclaimed his name or names his attributes to Moses and says, Moses, you're interested in power right now, understandably, because you want to know that you have what it takes to lead these cantankerous people through the desert into, into the promised land. But what you have to know first and foremost is who I am. And we see that Saul never graduates from that. Because what you see in his life is rarely any emphasis on who God is. The next few Shabbatot, as we read and see Saul and David's story, you'll see that it was not unusual for David to say, hold the presses, stop. God, what is it that you want us to do? You rarely, rarely, rarely see that with Saul. Why? Because he was about Saul. And because of that, he was not capable to carry out the commission that God had laid out for him, and that is to be a deliverer to set the people of Israel free from the oppression of the Philistines, something that had to wait until David came on the scene. Why? Because David was all about God, folks. And this is such a, um, as, we will, as we will see, as we engage in, the, in David's story next Shabbat, the Shabbat afterwards, David was anything but a perfect man. And scripture does not spare details. And frankly, some of those details about David's life are ugly. However, at the end of the day, he is held up as the gold standard for the other kings of Israel over and over and over and over and over again. So-and-so did right, 
did what was right in God's eye because he followed me wholeheartedly like David, his father. Or so-and-so did not do what was right in my own eye like his father David. The difference between Saul and David is their relationship with God and their ability to see things from God's perspective. And because of that, at the end of the day, the stranglehold of the Philistines over the people of Israel was broken, irrevocably broken. The Philistines, by the way, were around forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'll just conclude with this, that when the Spirit of God came upon David, the Ruach came upon David in power, and the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. Now again, there are lots of things we don't understand. Uh, Saul is an exception. When God chooses someone, he doesn't say, oops. Saul is an exception. We need to be careful to remember that an exception does not define how God operates. It's, to use the analogy, that the tail cannot wag the dog. The tail is the exception. God's principle, as defined in Scripture, is that the gifts and calling are irrevocable. Helps with sanity, doesn't it? There was something special about Saul and Saul's Lack of willingness to hear what it is God wanted and to do what it is that God wanted done. And as you read David's story, even as a young man, you don't see him going, who am I? I'm just a nobody. What you see David singing is a God song rather than a David song. Because God is with me. I can do this, 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 and this. Saul begins with the ego issue of who am I, and at some point his ego gets inflated. In either case, it's all about him. And God help us, folks, to avoid Saul's example of being self-consumed and instead learn from David to be God-consumed. There's much work to be done. The kingdom of God has to expand. God is moving with, God is moved with compassion when he looks out and sees this screwed up world, sees all the broken people and he is calling us to engage with him. Not to fix, but simply to engage with him, to partner with him, to receive the power 
from the Ruach to get the job done. And all he says is, would you come and join me? That comes as we make a determination that we want to be more about the Lord, less about us. Let's pray. Lord God, we bless you. We thank you that you call us to engage with you, to partner with you in the work of your kingdom and seeing people set free from brokenness, from sin. Thank you, Lord God, that you don't do a catch-22 with us. Thank you, Lord God, that you supply what is needed. And Lord, we by faith, we simply say, Lord, um, give us holy chutzpah, the courage, Lord God, to see what it is that you want and to pursue that and to engage with your plans and purposes, Lord, in us and through us. Lord, open our eyes to see things from your perspective to be moved with compassion and to make ourselves available. Depending upon your ruach for all the, because of all the gifts that you have given us to be able to get the job done. Pray, Lord God, for each one of us to be stirred by your spirit, that your ruach would come upon us, Lord God, in power. May you receive much honor and glory, Lord, as we do that. In the name of Yeshua.